Thanks for listening to the Say So with Jeannie podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Terry. Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so and tell their story. Join me as my guests share their story of salvation and their journey to walking in everyday freedom. And the best part of it is, is that if God will do it for them, He can certainly do it for you. Enjoy today's Say So story. Thanks for tuning into the Say So with Jeannie podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Terry. Today, I'm speaking with Heather Creekmore, author of the book, Compared to Who, as well as her most recent book entitled The Burden of Better. Heather is a body image coach who teaches women how to end their struggles with their own body image. And today, she's going to graciously teach us how to stop comparing and start living. Heather is joining us from Austin, Texas today, where it appears that Elsa has literally set off an eternal winter. And it looks like we've caught Heather in between power outages. So Heather, can you hear me? I can hear you. It's great to be with you, Jeannie. It's good to have you. What's going on in Austin? Oh, it's crazy, but we have, we've kept our electricity. So, um, I'm really grateful for that because most of the people around us don't have it. I think my husband figured out that we're on the same grid as like the hospital and the fire station. And when you're in that little area, you're protected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so praise God for that. That's a, but, that's a good grid to be on, right? Yeah. Well, we didn't have heat on Monday for most of the day. So it got into the forties in here and <laughs> it was kind of cold. So oh did you all huddle together? Like what, start the fire? What'd you do? You know, I was actually recording podcasts. So I just recorded like on my YouTube channel, you will see podcasts when they're published with me, with my ski cap on and my nose is kind of red. <laughs> and this is inside your house or outside your house? Inside my office. Yes. So it was, oh. it was uh, an adventure. For nothing sure. stops you. Winter storms in uh, <laughs> February and power out. Nothing stops you. I love it. Well, um, so I'm so glad that we're having this conversation today and that you and your family are safe. Could you start by telling me a little bit more about yourself and what your mission is? Sure. So I am... I'm an author and a speaker and a coach, all those things, but it's very funny for me to hear myself described that way. Uh, I actually have a master's degree in public policy. I worked in politics and marketing for a while, and I thought that's where my life would be. My husband and I met at age 30, got married at 31, and quickly I was pregnant and we had four children within, I have four, I had my four-year-old turned five right after I had my fourth baby. So I had four kids in four years, no twins. Um, (laughs) So, so I've been a mom, stay at home mom. I'm a homeschooling mom. My husband is a pastor now. So I'm a pastor's wife. And a lot of those things I'd say, um, take up a lot of my time as well and, and are, are really a, a big focus of my life. So this is, this is my hobby. Right. Yeah. So, but we live in Austin. Like you said, my husband's on staff at, um, at a large church here, Hill Country Bible Church. Uh, we had planted a church outside of Dallas 
uh, right after he graduated from seminary. And so we were there for almost 10 years and then moved to Austin just a couple years ago. But I'm an East Coast native. I'm from Pennsylvania. Florida is my happy place. Um, I'm, I lived in DC on and off for 10 years. So um, I'm, I love the East Coast. I miss the East Coast sometimes, but I've, I've been trying to be a Texan for about 14 years now. And how's, how's as, that working? as you can see, no one else can see this, but I do have on bright colors today. Like I, I'm the East Coast girl that wore black all the time and never wore big earrings, but I have on big earrings now. So, you know, their Texas is influencing me. <laughs> it's wearing off. Well, we, uh, you're invited to, to uh, Florida anytime you want. It is, uh, I'm in flip flops today and, uh, there's a little bit of rain, but definitely not what you're dealing with. So we would (laughs) love to have you back on the East coast anytime. We'd love to host you. Well, thank you. Um, so I read your book compared to who, and I laughed a lot (laughs) and I learned a lot and your writing is super light and super funny. So it's almost like you're like hiding the learning part and you're just like, like inching that in. Um, and I just wanted to know on such a deep topic, because your book compared to who is about stop, you know, comparing your body to other people's bodies and we're all made a certain way. And so I feel like on such a deep topic with your writing being so kind of fun and lighthearted, was that like intentional for you to do that because it's such a deep and personal topic? Somewhat, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not my style to be anything other than kind of light, (laughs) if you will. Like I love to laugh and I feel like it is such a deep personal heart issue that if you try to approach it too seriously with someone you don't know, who is like, that's most of my readers I've never met before, then it's just, it's not going to be effective, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) why are you Brian in my business would be my take if someone tried to, tried to talk to me. So, so my style is I, I just, I want to be that friend you haven't met yet. Um, who just kind of wants to have an encouraging conversation with you about really hard stuff, but let's do it in a way where we can still have fun. And, um, and there's hard truths in there, but I really believe that hard truths like covered in chocolate are a whole lot more palatable. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. I could, uh, I, I, I like how you said that. Hard truths covered in chocolate. So you did mention, though, it's a heart issue. Or did you mean heart issue when you said that? Yeah. What do you mean by body image being a heart issue? Well, I think it's the number one lie that most of us believe when we struggle with body image. And and body image, by definition, is is not about our physical beings, right? Like if you look up the clinical definition of body image, body image is about what you think about your body, how you feel about your body. It's really not about your body at all. And yet the biggest lie women believe when it comes to body image is that if I could just change my body, this Mm -hmm. would be fixed. Mm. Right. And I mean, I've been guilty of it. I think every woman on the planet has, right. If I could just lose a couple more pounds, or if Mm -hmm. I could just have been built like her, if I had her shape, if I had her hair, Mm -hmm. if I had her face, like you, you name it, we believe falsely that fixing our body or changing our body to look like that body that we believe is more desirable than the one we have would fix our problem. But yet it's not true. And it's proven over and again that it's not true in culture, but it's still, it's one of those lies that we just, we just wrap our little fists around and we won't let go. But there's a great TED talk 
by a Victoria's Secret model from, from several years ago named Cameron Russell. And it's the whole topic of the TED Talk is not this, but towards the end of it, Jeannie, she makes a statement, you know, TED Talks are only 10 minutes long. So we're talking like minute nine. She makes this statement. Models uh, have the thinnest thighs, the best hair, the best clothes. But if you see a group of models together, you know, you're seeing like the most, the most insecure group of women ever gathered. And Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm paraphrasing her, Mm -hmm. but, but it is just, it's an excellent reminder that those women we look at and we see on the cover of a magazine and we think if I just look like her, I would be free from body image. No, no, no. If you just look like her, you would probably be struggling even more <laughs> because right. that's what her whole identity is about. Right. So, so right. it's, it's not, it's not a physical issue. It's a heart issue. So I, I want to touch on a couple of things you just said, but first was I, you, you taking me back to like your book where you mentioned Cindy Crawford and mm-hmm. how a cellulite image came out on her that was fake and how you you I think it was you you said in the book like you were so happy that actually to learn the real Cindy had cellulite and you found out oh this this is a fake bogus image (laughs) right so and I just I feel like that correlates with what um, Cameron Russell said was you know it doesn't mean because we look this way that we have it all together that you know we still have our insecurities too right if your job is to be beautiful, you're spending a whole lot of time yeah. <laughs> focused on being beautiful, right? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. You're spending your time, your attention, your money, your, your money. focus. Right. And so where does our... Actually, I want to take it back a little bit. I want to hear your story. Why... What made you, and I did read in your book, so I know a little bit about your your past history, because you said that in your book, you're really candid about um, your body image issues starting at a young age and how that you thought you'd be happier if you were more beautiful or thinner and how you fight hard not to walk into a room and mentally divide the women in the room into two categories. One is thinner than you or one that is not thinner than you. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond, but I do just want to say thank you for your utter transparency um, about what you have admitted or confessed about your um, own personal struggles. How did you go from having struggling with the body images that you did at such a young age to going on to starting an entire movement <laughs> that you're doing? Like, did you about comparing, not comparing yourself to anyone and being okay with the way you look? Did you ever want this to be your story or did you ever be, did you ever say, God, I don't want this to be my story. Like, I don't want to tell people about this. Like, can you tell me about that? Sure. I absolutely never planned to tell anyone about this ever. I mean, this is the last thing I ever thought I would be talking about. I had, um, I, my struggle started in the third grade Mm-hmm. I was dieting in middle school. By high school, I was seeing how long I could go without eating. College, more of the same. I lost my period my sophomore year of college. So um, it's just a tremendous blessing that I didn't do more damage to my body um, to where I was able to have children because a lot of women that have eating disorders end up facing infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I was protected in that. And and I guess because my weight did yo-yo so much, my, my period eventually returned. Um, I got 
into uh, my 20s and I started exercising and exercise was going to save me and fix this problem for me. It didn't. I got married, like I said, in my 30s and that was going to fix this problem for me and it didn't. And so this, this was really a deep, dark secret if you mm-hmm. will. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, Jeannie, it was very much something that I didn't see or acknowledge because I thought it was just a normal girl problem. Okay. I thought every female I knew thought about what she ate and how she looked and how her jeans were fitting and what size she wore. Like I hadn't met a woman who didn't worry about those things. So mm-hmm. I just thought it was a normal girl thing that because I was born female, I was going to have to struggle with for the rest of my life. And mm. so I couldn't have even told you this was an issue that anyone could address. Like it, it was an unsolvable problem, <laughs> right? So what, what was right? What was the aha moment when you're like, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to like, this isn't just a woman every day. I have to, I have to bow down to the struggle. What was, what was it for yeah, you? Yeah. So I was in my, um, my mid thirties that I had just had my fourth baby and my husband was in seminary and getting ready to go into the ministry. And he was listening to sermons all of the time, just all the time. And just the way our house was configured, you know, wherever he was, we didn't have air, air pods. I always say them wrong. Earbuds, earbuds, whatever those things are. We didn't the have things, fancy things. Uh, things we have in our <laughs> we <ears> all, now. <laughs> right. We only had like corded things. And right. so most of the time he wanted to do stuff. So he would just play it out loud on his computer while he could get stuff done. And so I ended up listening to these sermons too. And he was listening by, to a sermon by, um, by a pastor named Tim Keller one time. And Tim Keller was talking about modern day idolatry. Now, Mm -hmm. Jeannie, I was raised in the church. Mm -hmm. Like I went to Christian school starting in seventh grade. I went to a Christian college. I went to a Christian graduate school. Like I knew my Bible (laughs) and I knew what an idol was. It was a little statue in your house. (laughs) And I didn't have any of those. In fact, growing up, like my mom would not let us have a garden gnome because those were idols. (laughs) Uh, If we went in the Chinese restaurant, we had to like turn the other way and not even look at Buddha. Like those those kinds of things. Like we were idle free. Okay. Idolatry was not our problem. Uh, okay. And we started talking about modern day idolatry and he has a book called counterfeit gods. And he was talking about that. Wow. And like, literally I remember cleaning my kitchen and hearing this and being like, and it was the Holy spirit nudging me saying, this is, this is your problem. Mm. This, this is why you always want to be thinner. This is why you always want to change your body. And I couldn't get enough. Like that just lit something inside me where I wanted to learn more about that. And so I started to listen and read everything I could get my hands on in in that, in that realm. Mm. And uh, really it came down to the place where I had to recognize, I was like, wow, this isn't just a normal girl problem. This is a sin problem. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people may hear that and be like, oh, great. She's going to tell us about sin. Like, that's not good news. <laughs> but it truly is good news because there is a cure for our sin problem. Jesus died for our sin problem. If this is just a normal girl issue, this is just like a big, heavy diaper bag I've got to carry with me the rest of my life, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not. If there is a root that's a spiritual root of sin in this, then we can be free and clear of that. Right. God promises us that in first John one, nine, that he, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we can be free. And so once I recognized that and was able to take care of it, the biblical way to confess it, repent 
and start to seek, okay, God, what is the better way? That's when I really tasted my first dose of freedom. And I'm not going to say that like a light switch, like flipped from off to on. And all of a sudden I didn't care what I weighed anymore and could go out of the house without makeup. Like, no, no, it wasn't that right. But it started in me a process of recognizing, oh my word, I have been serving beauty. I have been looking for more beauty or a thinner body Mm -hmm. to save me and bring me peace and bring me joy and bring me rest and bring me happiness and all those things that really only Jesus provides. And I was looking to to a physical makeover to do that instead of acknowledging that I had already had a spiritual makeover. And that's that's really where that comes from. I like how you say spiritual makeover. And so I want to, and I love how you said, if sin is the root, there's a, a solution. There's right. our savior, you know, to, to cover that sin. And as you said, the steps are to confess, repent, receive forgiveness. Absolutely. I like how you touched on that too. And I just want to take it back to body image is not the real, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. It is not really how you look. It's how you think or feel about how you look. Right. Right. And so like, you know, and you can Google that, right. That's what any like pop psychologist is going to tell you. Like there's Mm -hmm. body dysmorphic disorder, BDD, that's all in your head, that sort of thing. But I really believe for us as believers, whenever there's a mental issue going on, (laughs) a lot of times it starts with some sort of spiritual issue, right? It starts with what do we believe about God? What do we believe about Jesus and salvation? What do we believe will save? us. Mm. And and there's so many things in this world that are calling out to us that the enemy uses to call out to us and say, Mm -hmm. hey, over here, this is where real life is found. Oh, you would be so much better off if you just had this thing or looked like her or or had this kind of relationship or had this kind of home, right? It extends extends across all areas of our lives, but they're all just idols, Mm -hmm. right? They're all just things that we chase, but ultimately what happens. You get that perfect home. And guess what? Like five years later, the styles change. All of a sudden your grays are out of date and your shiplap is so 2018 and you need a new house again, right? Or you get that body, but guess what? That doesn't give you rest after you get that body because you have to maintain that body. And guess what? Someday you're going to wake up and you're going to be older and it's not going to be the same anymore. And so then you have to like go get surgery. And then we've all seen the celebrity that tried to hang on to youth way too long. I mean, I think Demi Moore's on the cover of some magazines this week with like her latest desperate attempt to try to keep looking like she's 35 or 40 or whatever age she wants to be <laughs> captured at. And it's not, it's not pretty. And it's easy for us to kind of cynically watch that and be like, well, how ridiculous. I mean, right. but, but the truth is she's just doing what a lot of us do in our hearts and just don't have money <laughs> to do. Right? <laughs> we say, oh, if I could just have this surgery, then I could say that look. And it's like, no, no, that's what you get. <laughs> When you have the surgery, it's not necessarily the best place to go, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a hard issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's what do we believe in then? And then beyond what do we believe will satisfy us is where do we believe our worth is found? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so we live in a culture, an age of pornography, mm-hmm. of images everywhere, right? You're on Instagram all day. You see image after image after image. Like we have access to more pictures of people and people's stuff than mm-hmm. ever before. So, so then it comes down to what do we believe gives us value? Because it sure does look if you 
just look all around, it looks like what gives us value is being attractive Mm -hmm. or having pretty things or being able to take really pretty pictures, (laughs) right? Right. None of those things I'm able to do, right? Right. But, but, but what really gives us value where we really need to find our worth and identity is in something much, much bigger than that. And it's, it's in Christ. How do we do that though? Can you take me, take, take me through some practical steps? How do I, how do I find my value and my worth and my identity in, in Jesus? How do I do that? Yeah. It's, you know what? It's a discipline. <laughs> it, part of it is just discipline, right? So, so first of, first of all, you have to read the Bible, mm-hmm. right? If you read the Bible, if, well, let me back up. If you don't read the Bible and you are on Pinterest and Instagram and Netflix for let's, let's even lowball it. I know this is much lower than average, but let's just say an hour and a half to two hours a day. Most people are on for five to six hours a day. Okay. Mm-hmm. But let's just say two hours a day. You have two hours a day of messages coming at you telling you that your value and worth come from looking a certain way, being mm-hmm. a certain weight, having a certain body image, right? And you have have zero hours a day coming from how the, how the word defines it. Right. Okay. So let's say you're doing a great job. You're spending your 15 minutes in the word every morning. Again, you have 15 minutes in the word every morning and three to seven hours of, of, other messages coming at you. Now, the good news is God's word is so much more powerful (laughs) than these, these other things that are coming at us. So I would say, yes, start with 15 minutes in the word. I don't think you have to spend three hours in the word to equal your three hours on Netflix. If you could do that. Awesome. Like, I hope you do that, but I don't think that that's a a standard that has to be kept. So please don't misunderstand me and in making those comparisons, but you do need that grounding because if you don't know what God says about you, how do you expect to find identity in anything but what the world says about you, right? It's impossible to yeah. define beauty the way the word says beauty is defined if the only definitions you're hearing and seeing are the world's definitions. So so that's step one. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking about Lucifer, right? He mm-hmm. was the most beautiful angel, wasn't he? Right. And right. he got a little hoity-toity and thought he wanted to right. uh, have people worship him more than or apart from God, right? So right. isn't he the creator of idolatry and idols? Absolutely. And, and we're, Absolutely. so would you say that when we're looking at our beauty and we're trying to serve beauty, kind of how you, like how you put it before, like you served beauty, you weren't serving God with your body and your thoughts. You were actually chasing after what the world or what maybe could, I mean, is it, is it Satan offering this? Is this like bait? Is this like a little, he's dangling something absolutely. shiny in front of us? Yeah, it's absolutely temptation for sure. And so I'm very clear when I work with women that you're never going to be free on this earth from temptation. So okay. the only thing I can help you do is help you learn how to fight temptation effectively, okay. right? Because you are going to be tempted. Satan knows this is an area he can tempt you in. So the temptation is going to come. And so in my coaching, I work on like, let's, let's create a strategy list. What are you going to do every day offensively, like to be ready for the temptation? And then what are you going to do defensively when the temptation comes? What, how are you going to fight it? And so that's something we do, but, but back to, back to Lucifer, the original sin there is pride, right? He wanted people to worship him. And, and I'm going to say this in, in as fun and a li- as light of way as I can. Hold on. Hold on. But, <laughs> but so, yeah, buckle your seatbelt here for a second, but, but, but follow me here. When we look through Instagram, what is the message that we're hearing from a lot of people? Follow me, mm. worship me, right? And if I'm really honest, 
with where my struggle has been. Like I get dressed for church some morning and I walk in, not because I'm there to worship God, but I look a certain way because I'm like, I hope someone notices and worships me a little bit today too. Right. And, and so, so not that we're conscious of that again, like, like, I think this is, this is a very subconscious thing that we do, but I think our hearts, just like Satan, <laughs> were tempted by the pride that, that comes with, it would kind of feel good if everyone worshiped me. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of would like some attention right here, <laughs> you know, and what can I do to get more attention right here? And if I had that attention right here, oh, wow, then I would feel good. Then I would feel satisfied. I would feel like I'm enough then. Right. What about the woman? Maybe you can speak to the woman who's like, I just want to hide. I don't even want that attention. I want to look a certain way because I don't, I don't want that attention. Is, have you met women in your practice and what you're doing like that? Absolutely. Yep. I have a client right now who's just like, yeah, I was the weird girl in high school. (laughs) You know, she's like, just like straight up. That's how she put it. She's like, because I didn't, I, I just, but, but, but her confession, which I think may, I don't want to put this on everyone who has that story because it may not be the case, but I think sometimes what happens is, and in her case, she's like, I gave up. Like the, the cool girls wouldn't accept me. There was nothing I could wear that would allow me to fit in with them. Yeah. So I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that that's the story for every woman who's, who's been in the case where she feels like she just wants to hide. But I do want to point out that an interesting thing about pride is that it can manifest itself as, as cockiness, arrogance, narcissism, right? But it can also manifest itself as self-loathing, right? Mm -hmm. So if you Google, what do I do to fix my body image issues? You're going to find about a million entries that are going to tell you, you need to improve your self-esteem. But from a biblical perspective, I don't really think that's what the Bible recommends. And here's, here's why the problem is how do you know when you have enough Mm self-esteem, right? The person with high self-esteem, you know, the person who loves themselves so much and is always talking about how great they are. Like no one wants to be around that person. Right. So (laughs) we know that's not, that's not like how God, God would define it. Right. Right. But then the other side of that, the quote unquote low self-esteem person, you actually, when you have low self-esteem, you have kind of the same problem that the person with high self-esteem has in that you are focused so much on yourself. But instead of deciding that you're better than everyone else, you've decided that you're worse than everyone else. Mm. And in both cases, it's really a refusal to see yourself mm. as, as someone who is a sinner and saved by grace alone, mm. right? So the, the, the overly arrogant person is like, I don't really need God. I can save myself. But the person person who, who self-loathes is like, oh, I'm not good enough for God's grace. Nothing can save me. And, and that's just arrogance too. Mm. So, so I think your original question was the woman who's hiding in some cases, this like self-loathing or, um, I'm not good enough, like kind of staying in the wallowing pit of, Oh, woe is me. I will never be good enough. Mm-hmm. It's just a pride issue as well. And, and so really the way out of both of these things is not to improve self-esteem or, decrease self-esteem to try to find some elusive middle ground in the Mm self-esteem equation. Really the the freedom comes in what I call and what Tim Keller calls, I should not take credit for it, what Tim Keller calls self-forgetfulness. And that doesn't mean self-neglect. Right. 
It just means that I am thinking so much more about God and how God loves me and how God defines my beauty and how God defines my worth and how I can love others. I am thinking so much more about those things than I am about whether or not I'm good enough that I find freedom from that trap of navel gazing. Did you say navel gazing? I said navel gazing. (laughs) Yeah. So looking at our bodies. Yeah. Or just like, you know, the woe is me. Oh, Uh, looking down my legs. Right. Oh, my belly. It's never been the same since the babies, you know, like all of those things that we just want to fixate on. No, the freedom, the freedom doesn't come when you get flat abs because you get the flat abs and guess what? The enemy comes and he's like, oh, that's so good that you got those flat abs. You keep going. Now it's just a shame about your arms. They're still kind Mm -hmm. of flat. You can do something about Mm -hmm. that. And then you fix the arms and it's like, oh, that's so good. Oh, it's a shame. You're so flat chested. Maybe you should get some surgery for that. Okay. You get the surgery. Boy, now you kind of look heavy. You should probably, you should lose some more weight. Okay, you lose some more weight. You know, it's a shame about your hair. You still haven't fixed that. I mean, you've done so much in your body, but you really, you need to get something done. And it's just one thing after another. The beauty treadmill does not let you off. You will never find a spot. You you are hard pressed. I, I dare anyone listening today to find me a woman who has done major work on her body and has come to a place where she is satisfied. You're not going to find that woman. Crickets. If you find her, you let me know. (laughs) You're not going to find her. There's going to always be one more thing. (laughs) One more thing. That's interesting. Um, I just want to, you said about Mm self-forgetfulness. That was actually you versions verse of the day. It was Luke 9, 23 to 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. Right. That's right. I think that's the scripture for self-forgetfulness. Right. Well, it is so, it's so contrary to what the world teaches, right? Mm-hmm. Like be your best self, right? You just, you just need to be the best. You just keep working to be the best you and, and really self-improvement. Now there are ways that God wants us to grow in holiness and sanctification, grow in using our gifts, grow to be more like Jesus. Yes. We are to quote unquote, improve in those ways, but there's a lot of ways that we focus on improving ourselves. And it's contrary to what the Bible says, especially in that verse you just read, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to die to ourselves daily. That doesn't sound the same as improve yourself daily. <laughs> yeah, who <laughs> right? wants to do that? Who wants to die to themselves? I mean, I think that's where you take off the cloak of pride and replace it with maybe like a robe or a garment of humility, right? Right, right. Colossians 3 is an incredible passage. And in the message paraphrase, um, if you look around verse 12, Uh, You can read exactly how God wants to clothe us. He wants to clothe us in kindness. He wants to clothe us in humility. But then right after where it says what he wants to clothe us with it in the message paraphrase, especially, I just love the way the message puts this. It says, be content with second place. Mm. And that to me, just that just punches me in the face because so much of my life was I need to be better, right? Like I'm in this imaginary beauty contest in my head and I want to win, right? But, but what would happen if, so to go back, you mentioned how I talk about going into a room and dividing the women. What would happen if I went into that room 
and was like, oh, wow, she looks so great today. I'm good to be in second place. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just here to love women. Right. I'm not here to try to get these other women to worship me or to think right. I'm hot or to think I'm dressed really cute or think I have it all together. Mm. What if I go into that room to love them? And instead of seeking, oh, what are they going to say about me? Seeking out the person who needs a friend and just <laughs> being a friend to her, loving her. I mean, you know, so many people misuse the passage in Matthew about loving others as ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if you really exegete that and look at other places in the New Testament where where Paul talks about, you know, loving someone as yourself, like there's just no way possible you can extrapolate self-love out of that. What What instead we should gather is that God believes we already, he's given us enough self-love inherently. We Mm -hmm. all are just born thinking about ourselves first. When I had babies, they did not like stop crying and be like, oh, mom, you have needs. You take care of that first. (laughs) Right. And even now with like teenagers still, it's like, it's a conversation that has to happen with like, okay, wait a second here, dude, mom is in the bathroom. Like you're going to have to take care of that right now. They don't stop and think, what are mom's needs? I should really worry about mom first. No, like we are all bent towards thinking of ourselves first. And then beyond that, especially if body image is something you struggle with, like, well, it's like, what do you think of me? (laughs) Right? Right. Like, how, how do you perceive me? Do you Uh think I'm nice? Do you think I'm kind? Like, what do you think of me? And, and we spend so much time thinking about me, 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 me. What do you think of me? Mm -hmm. Thinking about others as ourselves is really turning those focuses off of what do you think of me? How am I to, how are you? Yeah. How are you really? And what, what can I do to help you in whatever struggle you're in? Or what do you need? Or what, you know, what, how can I be an encouragement to you? How can I edify you? And it just completely changes the way we look at that. But so many in culture, even in Christian culture are saying, you have to love yourself before you can love others. That's absolutely unbiblical. And if you look at what Paul tells husbands in Ephesians, he says, um, that husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves. And so if you want to interpret Matthew as you have to have self-love before you can love others, then you have to interpret Ephesians that way, which would mean that a man has to love himself more before he can love his wife more. Well, so to just carry that through logically, then that would excuse a man who doesn't love himself not to love his wife right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, he doesn't have, he should love his wife as he loves himself. Well, if he hates himself, he should hate his wife. That is absolutely not what Paul's saying. Like no one is confused by that, right? Like we all know what he means. And so you, you can't extrapolate from Matthew that we need self-love before we can love others. No, I tell you what, we need God's love before we can love anyone. And we already have enough (laughs) self-love. We just need to start practicing the other love. No, that's good. I mean, God is love. He's the creator of love. I mean, go to the source to find love. Right. So how do you, and you might've already answered this, how do you get off yourself and and get onto others? I feel like I've, I just had a conversation with someone recently who was like, well, what happens when I don't make the team or I don't get the job or I don't get the husband or wife? It's like, and they've, they've wrapped everything up into that. And I feel like people can wrap everything up into their self image. Right. How do you, let's say your world is turned upside down and you've wrapped everything into that. And now it's something happened, some catastrophic life event or just something you think is catastrophic. And you go into this uh, self-loathing, maybe how do you get your mind off yourself 
and onto others. Because if you do have that self love or God's love, excuse me, and you're supposed to know your identity in him and you're supposed to know your worth in him. And all of a sudden you, you turned inward. How do you, how do you get somebody out of that, that self inwardness or that kind of pity party mentality or that victimized mentality to actually focus on somebody else? Because if we are supposed to love others, like we love ourselves, but we're having that moment because we put our faith, hope, hope, and confidence in something we weren't supposed to in the first place. So how do you get that, maybe that person out of that? Right. Well, so again, seatbelts on, like you kind of have to repent of your pride first, right? Because, because ultimately when we are in that place, a lot of times the thoughts that we're having are, this isn't fair. Yeah. This isn't the way it should be. This isn't right. And then underneath that is God, how did you let this happen to me? Mm. God, you are better to other people than you are to me. Mm. God, you must love them more than you love me. God, this isn't fair. Mm. And in that we're questioning God, Mm. right? And we're kind of complaining. Now the Bible is clear. Complaining is sin, Mm. but lament like David does is not sin, right? So it's one thing to be like, God, this is so hard. Mm. (laughs) I know, I know you're in control, but I don't understand this. This is killing me. Like God help me. Like, but, but that's from a heart of submission, right? That's from a heart. That's like, okay, God, you are, you are sovereign. And I don't know what's going on here. This hurts. Yeah, Like that is, God wants us to come to him with that, but the God, you have messed up. Okay. <laughs> like, right. like that's, that's, that's pride, right? That we know better than right. God, what is good for us. And so I think you have to start with just confessing that pride and repenting of that pride. And, and then it's a discipline. Like I said, you have to know the truth of God's word. You have to be talking, talking to God. And then the set die to self daily, right? Because it's self that says you should be in a better place. You should look better. You should do better. You know, all the betters I talk mm-hmm. about in my book, the burden of better, like that's all self-focus. That's all the, the message of self-improvement, the message of self-esteem. And like we said, the message of the Bible is die to self. There's an incredible book called the J curve by Paul Miller. And it's basically about how we die and rise with Christ again in every situation. Oh, and and the good. situations you talked about, like the person who has their identity built and I'm going to make the team, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to play pro ball or whatever. And then they don't make the team. You know, what does that look like? That's a death. You're, you're dying a death. So how do you rise again? Right? Like what do you, and it's not necessarily a rise again, like to make another team. It's just a, it's a, you have died a death with Christ. You know, how do you trust him to walk with you in that? So you can rise again. I mean, I think of, I think of people that have suffered from horrible accidents, right? There's, there's a, a model, um, and I, her name is escaping me right now, but she was, she was a model and she was hit by a private airplane propeller oh. and completely disfigured her face. She was oh. on fire. Like she's not a model anymore, but she has a whole new ministry <laughs> talking about how putting, putting your uh, faith and trust and confidence in your looks can be, you know, zapped from you in an instant. But then I think about people like, I don't know if you're familiar with Nick Vojovic. He's yes. a man Thank that you was for saying him. Yes. Yeah. He born with no arms and no legs. And yet he preaches the gospel to literal millions of people around the world. I mean, you would think if you were born in that situation, <laughs> you know, well, boy, what, you know, you must be destined for just a miserable life at home. You can't do very much. Right. But, but there's a man that, was not overcome. Um, there's a, 
there's a um, a guy who lost his legs in um, in Afghanistan or Iraq. A sergeant, I think his name is Johnny something Jones. I'm messing up his name right now. Jeannie, I'm sorry about that. But, um, but he did this meme that I saw on Pinterest one time and it was just, it just captured me. And it was people ask, he, he lost both of his legs in, in a bomb going off. And he said, people ask me how I can be so positive without my legs. Mm-hmm. And I asked them how they can be so negative with theirs. Oh, my legs, good. my legs have always been my spot, right? Like hated my thighs, just have all, never had thigh gap. Just my legs have always been too big. Even when I was at my smallest, my legs were too big. I was sure of it. And I wow. saw this meme and I was like, yeah, that's it. I have two working legs mm, yeah. <laughs> that can, you know, they don't run very fast or well, but they work. And, yeah. and I can praise God for that and ask him, okay, God, how do you want to use my squatty little legs? Right? <laughs> it's probably not going to be for modeling, but you have a purpose. So, for these big guys. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. I love what you just said. I, and I think what we're touching on here, it's, it's coming out now is a heart of gratitude, right? Right. And that's what the burden of better, that's what I talk about in my book, The Burden of Better, is really understanding God's grace because you can't be grateful for something you don't understand. Right. Right. And, yeah, and so absolutely. it's easy to, for us to do this little gratitude list. And I think they're helpful. You know, like I'm thankful for a sunny day. I'm thankful that I have electricity today, yeah. right? Like all these things are nice and they're good and they're helpful, but really you have to be grateful at a much deeper level in order for it to penetrate your heart. And the only way to be grateful at a deeper level is to really understand God's grace, not just the saving grace. I think a lot of Christians are like, yeah, I know I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. Right. Yay. Woo, I'm in. That's what you mean right. by grace. No, that's not what I mean right. by grace. That's part of grace, right. but that's only a small part of the equation of grace. There are four main ways that grace manifests itself in, in our lives. And I dig deep into that in the burden of better, because I believe until we can have a really deep understanding of those things, you know, our gratitude lists are nice, but they yeah. don't, they don't change our hearts. They don't transform us. I like how you said that though, because a lot of people do say, okay, I've got, I've got the salvation so I can hope for something in the future, but where's my hope right now? Where right. is, where is it? And I, is, is it found in grace? Would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So a lot of people, it's exactly what you said. A lot of people think grace is a manifestation that will help us when we die, but no grace is a manifestation that helps us every single day. The way you've been gifted your spiritual gifts, they're grace from God. The way God is sanctifying you and growing you, those, that's, that's all part of his grace. Those are different ways he imparts his grace on us. Mm. The way you walk through suffering, the way he yeah. sustains you in that, that is evidence of God's grace so and, it, and impartation of God's grace. And, and, just, and, and then even just beyond salvation, salvation isn't just our security for the future. Salvation should give us security now, right? Like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Like, like so... Even death can't separate me from Jesus. That should give me a whole lot of confidence now that no matter what mean thing I hear said about me, no matter what, you know, people do to me, no matter how people hate on me, no matter how people disapprove of me, I am Mm -hmm. secure in in that nothing can separate me from Jesus's love. So good. I could talk on and on with you, Heather. This has been amazing, but I know we're a little pressed for time. How can I, now I want to read your next book, The Burden of Better. Uh, I want to hear all about that grace that um, that's for me today. I don't want to have to to just think right. it's it's hope for the future and oh great I I get a ticket to heaven when I die like who knows how long that'll be but I'm just suffering along struggling about comparing my body to somebody else and who I think 
or what I think I look like or how I think I feel about what I look like. So this has been very eye-opening and I'm so thankful that you got to the point with God where you humbly submitted and you were able to confess your pride and that you are calling it what it is and you're able to put words to how women might be feeling, you know? So I really appreciate that. And I want to know uh, where we can find more of you. Can you give us all the places where you can be found? Sure. So they're all compared to who? So I'm compared to who um, on any podcast provider. I am compared to who.me compared to who.me on, um, on the, on online, I'm compared to who on Instagram. I'm trying to back off of Facebook, but I'm there too. Uh, (laughs) compared to who on, um, Pinterest, all the places, YouTube, uh, you can watch my, um, my podcast interviews and some other helpful videos on YouTube. So all the places compared to who, and then my books are available, um, on Amazon, Christian book, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, all the places where Christian books are sold you can find them. Well, thank you so much for that. This has been my absolute pleasure. I hope you and your family stay safe and you, I'm so thankful that you're on that grid (laughs) so that you don't lose your power and that this, the storm shall too pass. Yes, it will. It's going to be 74 here in a couple of days. (laughs) Nice. That's Texas weather for you. (laughs) There you go. Well, thank you so much, Heather. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Say So Story. I hope you enjoyed listening, but I pray you take it one step further. James 1, 22 to 25 encourages us to look at our freedom and not become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer. And we will be blessed in what we do. If you want to be blessed, and I believe you do, then do something with what you have just heard. Do something with God's word today. Write it down, memorize it, and speak it over you and your situation relentlessly. Go from just merely hearing about walking in freedom to actively walking in your very own freedom today. You can do this. Let's keep this conversation going on Instagram and on Facebook by using the hashtag say so. Let's connect on Instagram at Jeannie Terry official and on Facebook at say so with Jeannie. Until next time, friends, be blessed and be a blessing. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.